Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Hello again. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Today's show will feature Chip Frederick. We will talk Vanderbilt baseball. Today's news presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at SB Injury Law, and please tell them you heard about them on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Vanderbilt and Florida have a three-game baseball series this weekend, all those games in Gainesville starting Friday. First game is going to be 6 o'clock Central. That game can be seen on ESPN News. Saturday's game will be 5.30 Central, that one on the SEC Network Plus. And game three will be 2 o'clock Central on Sunday, that one on ESPN 2. Our guest line is presented by our friend Scott and Missy Tannen at Bowling Branch. You have heard me rave about Bowling Branch sheets for years. Well, there's good reason for that. They are the best sheets I've ever slept on, hands down, no close second. You can try them yourself, and you can do it totally free. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is B-O-L-L and branch.com. Enter the promo code Vandy50. You get 30 days risk-free where you can send it back, but you won't want to. You're going to try them. You're going to love them. They are 100% organic, rain-fed cotton. That makes a huge difference. And with every washing, they get softer. Try Bowling Branch Sheets today and thank me for it later. Chip Frederick joins us as we talk some baseball. We do this on a Thursday morning. Chip, hope you're well. Commodores are certainly doing well. They're in great shape heading down the home stretch of the SEC season. Yeah, we talked last week, Chris. Uh, good hearing from you, too. We talked last week about being the midpoint of the season and how this was a important weekend for a couple reasons uh, this past weekend with Mississippi State. Number one, you know, Mississippi State's a, a really good team. Uh, built a little differently, of course, than Vanderbilt and some other teams, but I, I discussed over the weekend with several people and, and before even, I didn't even hear, hear Tim Corbin's press conference, but I said it, I beat him to the punch, not taking credit for it. I mean, th- I think that's an Omaha team uh, and agreeing with what he said uh, because they, they've got all the ingredients of experience. They've got, you know, a, a long list of pitching depth that can get them there, get them through a, a regional, a super and, and last. And it's just, um, they just do it a little differently than Vanderbilt does. I'm not saying there's one way is better than the other, but they are they can slap the ball around. They can play good defense. They've got a little attitude and swagger. They've got a park that, you know, if they host a regional, they'll have, you know, 15,000, 16,000 people there probably, as many as they can jam in there like sardines. And then that only helps them in a, in a super. And, and so they've got all the, the, the makings of an Omaha team. So that's why it was a, a, a great to see a team – the pitching that uh, Vanderbilt saw over the weekend, I think, was important in a stressful situation. Uh, I know that I texted you on Sunday. Admittingly, I was negative after the score was got away from us in the first couple innings, and um, I was uh, thinking the worst. But I think it showed the how this team's growing up, albeit that they're very young and they and they pulled out the victory. So it was a very topsy turvy weekend. It went emotional. You had to stick with it and. And that's what Corbin's club did. They stayed. They didn't die on Sunday, and they stuck with it and had a pitcher who came in who 
through strikes, which we've been waiting on for the Sunday Sunday pitcher to do that, and Chris McElvain and 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 got us the win, and, and it was a very very important win for numerous reasons, experience, uh, RPI, all those things. It just it only uh, pads their resume, in my opinion. I wonder how many really good teams have taken more blows than they have between the injuries, uh, the draft last year, the fact that a lot of other people's fifth and sixth year seniors are coming back. Like some of those kids for state have been there uh, five years. I was looking up a player, I was looking at some of the better SEC players this week, and I don't remember who it was, but one of the guys that has been one of the leaders in, in the league this year is, is a sixth year senior. Just like, they don't have any of these advantages in that sense that some of these other teams have gotten, that they've had injuries. It's just made for an amazing season given how much I think they've overcome. And it feels like the unthinkable was lighter getting hit. He's given up, what, now five home runs in two weeks, and they've lost both those games, and yet they just keep on chugging. Yeah, I mean, and usually young teams don't do that. Chris, you know, they're look if something when the bad things start to happen and they're you've got a lot of youthful players out there, they start looking around for the senior leadership or the junior somebody, you know, what's going on. But I think that's a testament to what this staff does as far as preparing them and throwing them in situations when they train and, and uh, putting pressure on them as far as how they handle stressful situations because they really haven't blinked, although they've had some bumps where they've had some games. Uh, you know, the Saturday game in Knoxville uh, was being one where they took some lumps and, and then the Saturday game here in Nashville against Mississippi State. But they've always bounced back on that third game, which is a testament uh, to their medal and, and what they're made of. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, this team has been hit with the injury bug uh, more so than, than others. Um, there's going to be a lot of that around the country and in the league. But they've really showed some staying power and and not blinking, and and that's only going to benefit the benefit them on the way down you know, as they approach the tournament. So, yeah, I, I um, the, the whole thing, the expanded rosters because of COVID, you got some teams. I guess what is it, 40 now? Uh, it's used to be 33 or in that range. So you've got you know you, you wonder that can can have a negative effect if you got some guys who stuck around that you didn't want to stick around but a lot of these teams just kept people that didn't get drafted because of the shortened draft last year so they've got a lot more the bullpens are deeper and 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 so are the position players as well you know one thing that gets overlooked i think in the pitching and and the hitting as it comes and goes just how good their defense has been right now Oh yeah, they got some guys who really flash in the leather, and 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 that's where you know teams are built. And up the middle, what can you say? I mean, some plays that you know you're seeing Carter Young make, and what's happening in the outfield with with Bradfield, and and it's just uh, it's amazing that a team that because usually it's not that case, right? I mean, you've got you've got uh, younger teams are going to be the ones who aren't tested and aren't going to make some fielding and throwing errors, and and I would think you know with the exception of you know, Jason Gonzalez is not your sharpest third baseman that's been over in that spot in the last couple of years. There have been some good guys over there with, with some better defensive skills. And he's made some throwing errors and, and some rushing balls. But other than that, I think they've they've really surprised people in there. I mean, you're looking at, you know, 35 errors on the year uh, with, you know, Gonzalez making 10 of those 35. So 
you got one player who's almost double as anybody else. Uh, and if he can clean that up, I think it'll, it'll be even more potent. What do you do with Cooper Davis right now? I, I really like that kid and root for him. Um, you know, and, and, and it's understandable. He just has had continued injury issues and getting hit in the face like that and then uh, the hamstring injury. It's just been one thing after another. Uh, but he just doesn't look like the player that he was. I think a couple things that surprised me is a, a ball that got in front of him that fell for a hit this weekend. And then on top of that, um, he lays down a really good bunt. And it never occurred to me that he wouldn't beat it out, and he didn't. And it was a close play, and they reviewed it. And maybe he was safe. I, I don't know if he was or not, but the call didn't go his way. The point is, I know they keep waiting for him to come around, and, and Tim is big on giving guys who have stuck it out a chance. And, and I'm not saying that's the wrong decision. I probably would have done the same thing. But I just wonder if, if that is going to – be a thing where he writes himself and he's the player that he was, but the loss of speed to me is kind of concerning. Yeah, you know, I hate it for Cooper Davis because he's a likable guy. I've seen him in videos of when they've had him mic'd up and he's a very popular teammate and he's an older guy and I know that he's being looked at uh, by those younger players like we talked about, but it's almost at the point where, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I'm not saying it's make or break you know, a couple weeks here for Cooper Davis because Tim Corbin and his staff has stuck with him um, when the numbers haven't been there. And it sh it's a testament to what I think he provides this team on an experience and leadership. But there, you wonder if there's some plays that are not being made in the outfield and not beating out balls, if a decision is going to have to be made. Now, of course, there's a couple people who who can fill that spot and they can do some musical chairs out there. But uh, having some discussion with some folks this weekend, you just wonder if, if it's getting to that point. You want to give them every benefit of the doubt, of course, and, and, and play through it. But when you start getting into these, this schedule where it's a murderer's row almost coming up here, continuing, and this conference in general is like that, you just wonder if the, if the decisions going to have to be made that, you know, we're just going to sit you, Cooper, till you get your hamstring right and, and maybe get the mask off the helmet on the hitting side and see if that makes a difference. I'm not sure. You know, Parker Nolan's stats in conference play haven't been that good offensively. He's hitting 217 with a 289 on base and a 391 slugging, but he has hit his two home runs the last two weekends. He's taken a lot of stuff the other way. Now, he still strikes out more than you'd like. He struck out 29 times in 18 SEC games, but it seems to me like he's been getting a little bit better offensively. And defensively, you know, I, I think he's not been great, but he's been fine. Uh, so what do you see with him there? Yeah, I, I was noticing the same thing. I mean, you look at where he's going the opposite way with the ball. He's got 11 doubles, which is impressive. And, and his RBI total is, is third on the team from his spot behind, uh, behind Keegan. Uh, let's see, behind Keegan and Carter Young. So you know, it's good to see when, when guys are pitched that way that they take the ball opposite field. Uh, it shows that he's getting a lot of extra work, you know, in the cage. And, and that, that is an art that a lot of people don't understand. Uh, you just can't go up there and, and uh, I mean, there's drill work that you do for opposite field hitting and, and uh, that, it, that this staff does with them. So, yeah, he's, he's been a pleasant surprise here the last couple of weeks. I mean, batting 279, he's, we got, see six guys batting in the 300 
currently. So he's getting closer and closer to that with the way that he's been his production the last couple weeks. So he has been a bright spot that I've noticed. The one I keep waiting to come around is Dom Keegan because I love the way that he was hitting pre-injury and it just does not look like the same guy after that. Um, I think he's chasing a lot of breaking stuff and it just looks kind of confused at times. I think Dom Keegan is a really good hitter. Uh, and right now, I mean, look, they're, they're first place with him struggling, but that's one that like, if he pops, that's a real game changer for them. Well, I mean, looking at where he started off, I mean, you know, he, he, it was, it was, I'm going to say no place to go, but down, but you know, he uh, striking out a little bit more than he usually, I mean, he's not, he's not, immune to striking out but he had multiple games this past weekend where he had uh, struck out two times uh so yeah it's just you're wondering if it's just kind of a recentering a little bit as far as um him coming back down from the clouds but he he he's got some power and the way he's uh you know he, he still leads the team when he's second in hits third in doubles second in home runs and his rbi top, total is second so he's still leading in the top categories just quieted down here the last couple of weeks but and maybe teams have you know the book is out on him as far as how to pitch him which does happen i mean those things i mean there are specific members of the staff who watch tape and if you know somebody who knows somebody who has a spray chart or or different uh, aspects as far as they can share with you especially non-conference opponents that goes around all the time um and so could be a little bit about just the books out on him a little bit more and he's just going to have to bear down and and, uh, you know, and try to reach where he was before because he just came out of the block so hot. Yeah, he did. Uh, I guess the other pressing topic of conversation is the number three role. And Patrick Riley had a poor start. Chris McElvain bailed him out. And now the talk is you could see McElvain in that role. Schultz has been doing fine on Tuesday. I don't, I don't see them needing to change him. I do wonder if he'd be available. In fact, I was surprised they didn't use him against State, given the fact they didn't have a midweek game. But uh, Tim Corbin did what he did, and I think a lot of that was because McIlvain and, and Maldonado finished out from there, which I don't think anybody guessed that they were going to use two pitchers from that point on and, and basically shut State down. But that's what happened. I think Ethan Smith will be back this weekend. What do you do with Sundays now, and how does that change maybe what you do on Fridays and Saturdays, presuming Rocker and Lighter don't throw a complete game every week, which they're not going to. I say that kind of jokingly. But how do you sort things out now if Ethan Smith is back? Well, you know, you got to wonder with Ethan Smith where he's been in his bullpens, if he's been able to have them. I'm sure he's been – it's not like he hadn't picked up a ball in the last three weeks. I'm sure he's found some opportunity to throw somewhere. And so, you know, that kind of clouds the situation. I mean, I could see a couple situations. I could see Schultz this weekend. There's no midweek game. They could throw him back in there. You could get McIlvain a try. They could just throw Ethan Smith in there, which would be a little unusual that he hadn't had an opportunity to throw in a live game, although I'm sure he's, I don't know, situation as far as he's practiced or they've had an inner squad or thrown to batters. But any one of those scenarios would not surprise me. Um, you know, it's just it needs to be established pretty soon. And I've been toting Chris McIlvain for a couple weeks now. The kid just throws strikes, and he pitches to contact. And, 
you know, it was his longest outing. I think he went five innings uh, this in, in the game. That you know, the main thing that he did, which was what you want to have in a guy like that, is to just hold the fort and not giving up any runs. He gave up one, but without him, they don't win that ball game. And uh, you know, when you get, it's not something you expect when your starter goes one third of an inning in uh, in any game, but especially on a game three, it really changes things. And McIlvain was the star of that game. I know the offense came on, and and there was the big the home run that you had uh, with with you know in Carter Young, which was proved to be the game winner and put us ahead. But none of that matters if Chris McIlvain does not come in and do what he did. So, you know, then you wonder, you know, is, is that a situation where he's going to be able to excel? I'm not saying he's not a starter, but McIlvain more of a middle innings guy. Is it going to be? Um, a situation where he could start, and and does that change his mentality? You know, Patrick Riley obviously didn't answer the bell. Now that's Tim Corbin said in the post game. There's going to be a, a a lot of learning for Patrick Riley, and he's certainly not dead in the water and never going to pitch again. But you you learn from those moments, and he just was not. I mean, four walks in the first inning. Trust me, I've been there. Uh, my freshman year, I got a, pit, a pitched against Alabama, um, did pretty well for two innings, got a start against Lipscomb uh, the next Tuesday, and didn't make it out of the first inning. And it was just, it's a humiliating experience when that happens. And you see that in pro ball sometimes. I mean, the guy from the Cub, H- Cubs, Hendricks, last night, I mean, he's had a pretty good... He's had a pretty good stay with the Braves the last two appearances, hadn't he? I mean, goodness. Oh, Kyle Hendricks has been about as consistent as you get in Major League Baseball for four or five years. All of a sudden, he can't throw strikes the way he used to. He's giving up home runs at an alarming rate, and he's getting barreled up, which, like, at three times the rate he was. It's crazy. Sometimes, for whatever reason, even the most consistent of players, you just wake up one day and you, you can't count on them suddenly. I don't know if it's a phase with him. Or if it's the the beginning of the end, because Hendricks has been a guy who does not live on premium stuff. He lives off tunneling and keeping guys off balance. I mean, I don't know that his fastball hits more than 90 or 91, but for whatever reason, sometimes it just goes away. Right, right. And, and you know, uh, one would could say that McIlvain has earned this, the opportunity. They've, had, they've tried a couple different ones, and is McIlvain the guy? I would lend. I would tend to say that if I were the pitching coach and I'm not around them during bullpens and what Chris McIlvain's makeup as far as he being a starter, but I think he deserves a chance. I would say in order would probably be McIlvain, um, McIlvain, Ethan Smith, and then maybe Schultz in that order. I think it'd be one of those three. Now, could they go with somebody else? Of course. I mean, those get they're around those pitchers all the time, but certainly say that Chris McIlvain has earned, if he can pitch five and a third like he did on Sunday, he's earned, earned the right to get an opportunity to do so. Are you surprised that we are 18 games into SEC play and Hugh Fisher has made two appearances and thrown a, an inning and a third? I would have not expected that. Yeah, that, that, that's been a little bit of a, a mystery, and I'm not sure what's going on there uh, because, you know, we talked about Scott Brown was kind of, in these midweek games was going three innings, then one inning, two inning, one inning, one inning, spreading out the, the work, and no one's really gotten a longer leash than that. So I'm not sure what's going on there, and it, it might not know unless there's some probing done, but uh, that, that has been a, a mystery to me as well.
Let's go ahead and go to the mailbag. Our mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call Josh today, that number 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Ann Arbor Door says, is it feasible to have Nick Maldonado pitch on Friday and Sunday? If so, what is the max amount of pitches he could throw in Friday to be available Sunday? Yeah, I, I think um, it is feasible to happen. You saw that with Tyler Brown. Usually, and it's funny, the question was asked. Someone asked me that question separately um, earlier in the week. Usually, your closer in college, the, you know, you, you want to have a 24-hour period in between uh, appearances. Not that that's written in stone. I mean, you could have a guy... Uh, Kamar Rocker go, you know, eight innings and not need him in a blowout win, and then you go Saturday and Sunday with your closer. But it's best to have a day in between just for freshness and velocity. But th- these guys are not in a pro situation where the closers throwing back-to-back games and and are stretched out a little bit more. But it, it the the pitching, you know, Scott Brown knows. And there's different categories. If you want to get three outs from a pitcher, or if you need six outs from a pitcher, if you have your middle relief guys, you know your guys who, in the situation with McIlvaney, comes in, in in the first inning. But they know sort of uh, the number of pitches they can, get, you know, each guy can get, the number of batters they would like for them to face, or the number of batters to go through the order. Uh, and that's you know, if you remember, Tyler Brown was an eighth and ninth inning guy. But he rarely, I don't think there was ever a weekend where you saw a guy go three games in a row. You usually want to have a game in between, or if you go back-to-back, the, the third game, you, you give that pitcher, you don't want to stretch him out. But generally speaking, that's what, now, back in the 90s and the 80s, you had those guys from, like, Miami and um, those programs that had those sidearm guys who, it, it was a, they were treated them more like, if they needed three outs, they would go to those guys. But today, in today's game, you're seeing about, you know, 15, 20, 25 pitches max. Uh, you could go back-to-back days, but as long as there's not three in a row. GLH4VU asks, as fans, we love to bemoan the miscues, but even Tim Corbin has said we haven't seen how this team really can be. So what is the ceiling for them? You know, uh, the ceiling for this team, uh, I had this, you know, thought over the weekend when comparing it, and even though Vanderbilt won two out of three, and we've talked about this, I mean, I think this is an Omaha team uh, because of the way it's set up, and I've I've made this point before in years past with you. I think it'll be tougher for this team to get out of a regional than it will to get out of a super regional, just because of the pitching situation as it stands today, almost May first. Uh, and why, you know, people say, well, why is that? Well, it's simple because in a super regional, you got to win two out of three, and we got the two best pitchers in the country, just about. In a regional, you have that third game and potentially game four and five, and there could be a team that sneaks up on you out of a regional that's, you know, as far as where the seeding goes. So, uh, you know, how this uh, stacks up for the ceiling, yeah, so if the, in that get out of the regional, I think a super regional. The favorite being a favorite would be even more amplified. And then getting to Omaha, 
to be blunt, and and you know this team's going to have to find a third starter like Mason Hickman, and I'm keep saying that, and I'm sorry to the regular listeners, but somebody's got to establish himself as a strike thrower, pitch to contact thrower, where this team can count on them, because of course the Omaha situation is more like an SEC tournament in the format with the double bracket, the two brackets, and so. In order to go far, the bullpen's going to have to come out. We're going to have to get a third starter, and the bullpen's going to have to be a little more consistent. Now, Malvinado has been really consistent, but I'm talking about a few other guys to do that. So, um, you know, ceiling is an Omaha. I don't think this team would be right now favored to win it all, um, but that doesn't mean that they can't or they won't uh, just based on the raw facts. Um, I wouldn't also be surprised if this team – you know, winning the SEC tournament would be uh, not a stretch, but it's going to be pretty difficult if somebody doesn't step forward because of the format of the SEC tournament. So, again, I, I, I um, saying this is a national championship caliber team, but sure, anything can happen when you get there. And we have two guys who, if they pitch seven, eight innings and our offense responds, can beat anybody in the country. But you've got to look at it as far as the question is, kind of almost an on-paper question, uh, I don't think they would be the prohibited favorite right now to win the title. If these guys continue to grow up, continue to do the little things, and we get that third starter, then sure, it's definitely possible. This season of the podcast made possible by my friend Jody Jones, DDS. You can find him at 55 Music Square East. Jody is a former Commodore football player and a booster now. Jody provides just first-class cosmetic dental services. You go to his practice, and you will see why he is trusted by movie stars, musicians, athletes, all kinds of people. Anyway, go visit Dr. Jones's offices. They are a spy-like atmosphere. You've never seen anything like it, I can promise you. Jody's a terrific guy, big Vanderbilt fan. Anyway, if you have any cosmetic or general dentistry needs, go see Jody Jones today. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. D1 Baseball put out its regional projections yesterday, and I mean, these are completely meaningless at this point here, but I thought it was interesting. They were slotted with Florida State, which I believe is the only team in the country that has a longer history of making the NCAA tournament consecutively than Vanderbilt. And then Fairfield, which is the only unbeaten team, was the three with Lehigh being the four. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, Florida State is always tradition rich and they're going to be around and they've got the players and, and you know, they've, they've going to have the experience to do so. Uh, but that's, you know, the two is always going to be your, you know, you don't rarely look when you're, when you're, when you won 30 games or whatever, you don't, you don't look at the three and four, you do, but you know, those two seeds can be tricky. And if somebody gets hot at the end of the year, they can be really, really problematic. So uh, who would they? Who did they have Vanderbilt as a national seed? What was the, the... They had them as a two behind Arkansas as a one, which is probably the way that I would rank it, too. Yeah, yeah, right, right, as they stand right now. But there's still, there's still a lot of ball to be played. And, and, you know, Florida coming up this weekend, Chris, we haven't talked about that, but I'll just, you know, quick opinion about them. You know, Kevin O'Sullivan's been known to do different stuff. Um uh, you know, he's jostled with the pitching staff this year, and he's taken guys who are starters. 
one weekend he did that. He took starters and he's thrown them in the middle innings and he's just done a lot of experimenting with them. But they're they're they've been an up and down team uh, all year. It's almost been feast or famine with them. I mean, they've had some series where they've I mean, they went to Columbia and they got swept back in late March. Then they take two out of three from a really good Ole Miss team at home. Uh, then they get they lost two out of three to Tennessee. Then the next weekend they win three against Missouri. Then they win two out of three against Auburn, and they've kind of been on a little hot streak here before the Auburn series. They won five uh, SEC games in a row and seven straight. So you're sort of seeing this team. It's this is a barometer for the for Florida coming in this weekend against a team at home. Uh, right where Kevin O'Sullivan wants him. Uh, and, you know, if, if if you're him, you're not doing too much comparative. But, I mean, if I'm Kevin, Sull- Kevin O'Sullivan, I'm saying, you know, we're two games out of first place. If we win two games this weekend, we're going to be tied with Vanderbilt. And so they have everything to play for. I think they got some guys. You know, it's interesting. Their roster, I just happened to look at it the other day. Every single player on their team is from the state of Florida except one who went to junior college in Florida. He's from Chicago. But every single – they don't have to go out really outside their state uh, to, to get players. And, the, and they're either going to be feisty. They're going to slap the ball around. They don't run a lot at all. Uh, probably Vanderbilt swept 30, 35 more bases in Florida. But they're going to do what they do. They got the pitching depth and the talent. So this is a, a very big test uh, on the road where Florida's always kind of been a Bermuda Triangle anyway – for Vanderbilt teams, it's been feast or famine, but uh, it, it'll be a good series and another barometer and a test. And and I'm anxious to see how Lighter bounces back, and I'm anxious to see how uh, if Kumar can can um, not bounce back but replicate what he did on having his second complete game of his career last Friday night. Yeah, they have played has Florida like 11 close games in a row, and most of them are not against good teams. They beat Missouri. They had a pair of two run wins and a three-run win against Missouri in Gainesville. They went to Auburn, where they played awfully on the road, but Auburn's 3-15 and in the league, and they won two two-run games and lost a two-run game there. In between, they had a midweek win, 8-7, to over Jacksonville, which is 7-27. and uh, and right before that, beat Florida State in a one-run game and Tennessee in a one-run game. So uh, the the wins have come lately, but they have not come, for the most part, against very good teams. Well, you look at their last six, okay, Missouri and Auburn, two of the teams that are in the bottom of the division uh, on on both their sides. So what does that really tell you? I don't know if it tells them a whole lot. And they – beat Jacksonville in the midweek game, sandwiched in between the Auburn-Missouri game, beat them 8-7. to seven. So, yeah, they've, they've a lot of close games, but y- you wonder if if beating Auburn-Missouri like they did really tells you a whole lot. You wonder if more like the Tennessee series and the South Carolina series and the Ole Miss series, of course, tells you more. But uh, they, they're a team that to be reckoned with. I, I wouldn't uh, – they, they're going to be a, a formidable opponent this weekend like they always are, and – the Kevin O'Sullivan, Tim Corbin relationship, albeit, um, you know, Corbin was in his wedding, and I don't know how close they are now these days, but it tends to bring out a little feistiness between the two and the competitiveness. They both want to beat each other, and uh, uh, needless to say, I think the crowd, I'm not sure what the weather's supposed to be this weekend, but the crowd will be out, and, uh, you know, you've got a team, second team in the country coming in there. The Gators will be ready to uh, 
to uh, you know do all they can to win the series. Yeah, I've said this before. Nobody gets in their heads like Florida, but I think that going to Tennessee and facing that and then facing a Mississippi State bunch that's really chippy uh, with some fans uh, who come with it who are too, <laughs> I think that was great experience heading into this one. Yeah, I, I wasn't a, I didn't get to go to any games, watched them all, but uh, th- this past weekend. But it seemed like there was uh, finally uh, some people were opening up and and the crowd, and that was good to see. Uh, and then hearing about some stuff going on during the game and chipping it. You had some guys blowing kisses as they ran around the bases for Mississippi State. I forgot who that was. It was a catcher. Which yeah, I thought, yeah. Who he was Logan who Tanner. He, yeah, Logan Tanner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean th- those guys are. Um, Again, it's just different ways of being a good team. Mississippi State just does it a little differently, like I said. And uh, they've got some guys that have been around. and, and um, So, yeah, it, it was interesting to see that this past weekend. And, you know, Florida's going to be no exception. And, then you, you know, after after the Florida series, it doesn't get any easier. It just the, the games keep mounting. And, and it's, uh, as we've talked about in years past, Vanderbilt. Are we, are we out of school? I don't think yet, but I think in another week or two. Okay. I mean, it's close, and it may depend on what classes you have. Right, right. Well, I've always remarked, uh, and I'll say it again here in 2021, uh, Vanderbilt teams tend to play better when they're out of school, Um, and they kind of have this momentum, slow momentum, uh, building up to when classes are out, and it's 24-7 baseball and they can go to the cage as much as they want. There's not limitations on time. And the, the, I can't remember the last time a Vanderbilt team play, had a bad May overall. And so we're here closing on May 1st this weekend. We'll see if that continues. The last question comes from Ann Arbor Door. Mississippi State fans were complaining about the artificial pitching mound. One podcast called it Bush League. What are the pros and cons of an artificial mound from a pitcher's perspective? You know, I, I've always wondered what it would be like. I've been on that mound before. I've st- stood there. I went out there with my kids one day when they had a little gathering there for some former players. And it's different. You know, it is it is something you have to get used to in your footing. And I will say, when they first came out, I think Indiana was the first team I'm not saying they were the first team, but the first team that I noticed. And they were on TV in a regional several years ago. And they had, before Vanderbilt, you know, at the time, Vanderbilt had the dirt pitching mound. And Indiana was the first kind of major program to have the turf uh, mound. And I remember thinking to myself, God, that thing looks really slick um, if it gets wet and, you know, how you would get your footing on it. And uh, the more I watched the game, I, I, I didn't see anybody slip. Now, if it gets a little damp, that's something that I, I was, you know, it did rain a little bit. And it's one of those things maybe that is like a road when you learn in your driving test that the first time, the most dangerous time when it rains is when it first starts raining. And then once it gets saturated, then it's okay. And that's one of those things you wonder if it's dry and then it kind of gets a light drizzle of rain if it gets slick. That's something I'd like to ask somebody. But, you know... I don't know if there's any kind of shoe or whatever uh, that works better on that, but I will say it is something that I don't know how many teams in the league have it other than Vanderbilt. I think Vanderbilt's the only team that has that type of mound. Everybody else has the dirt, and it, it's it's an advantage, but, of course, Mississippi State complains about every, every advantage 
they seem to think that Vanderbilt has, so that's nothing new. So consider the source, I guess. Uh, I hear there was a lot of complaining about scholarships and, and the mound. and, and Oh, there was complaining players. about scholarships, mounds, football players, um, fans, you name it. it it's yeah. um, I think the complaints seem to take a different level when <laughs> – when Mississippi State comes to town, and I respect that baseball program. Um, yeah, oh yeah, they're 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 terrific. That their history and tradition, frankly, is better than Vanderbilt's. Um, you know, uh, you know, Vanderbilt has won a couple of College World Series, but theirs goes back a, a lot longer. But in any case, yeah, I mean, it's just like, come on, man, you you got beat. <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a part. Of, if you're a coach now, you'll see teams. I've been on the field before when. Uh, I was doing some games on television and we did an Auburn game one time at Vanderbilt and Auburn, the coach at Auburn was literally hitting fungos off the, the green monster in left field. And they were in the outfielders were adjusting to that. And, but of course they did that the day before teams. Now, you know, Vanderbilt, for instance, will fly into Gainesville, I'm sure tonight and they'll practice there tomorrow or tonight, excuse me, under the lights and take BP. Whereas these teams are coming in, and they should, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what Mississippi State did the week before, uh, last week, but that's where you want to get your pitchers on the mound and throw 10, 15 pitches lightly and get used to the footing with the shoes that you're going to wear. If, if there's going to be, you know, you got to, each park has a little quirks. Auburn has a green monster as well, and you, how the ball ricochets off that. You just want to, any, and you see, of course, Tim Corbin with his nature, he's going to be doing that wherever he goes. If there's anything about a park to get used to, and most coaches do, and I'm not sure if Mississippi State threw off that mound, but it's just something as a coach you got to take note of, and you got to get your guys out there so they're comfortable. Well, look, Tim does not leave a lot of stuff to chance, and nobody recruits elite pitchers the way they do. I think if that mound were some kind of a safety risk, A, would be used against him in recruiting, yeah, and B, not just the fact that it's a safety risk, but that and the fact that it's costing you players, hypothetically, I'm not saying it is, but if it were, I think they would change that in a heartbeat. So that tells me, I mean, you know, Tim, he's not going to come at something haphazardly. That tells me that it's fine. Yeah, and I, I, I certainly, in the game Mississippi State won, their staff, those three pitchers didn't seem to have any trouble with the mound. I mean, they struck out uh, 16 batters. I mean, that, that was yeah. a pretty dominating performance. So it depends on which game you're looking at. Chip, any parting thoughts before we end the show today? No, just uh, looking forward to another uh, weekend of SEC play and seeing where this team, how they handles, handle themselves after you know, not having a game midweek. I'm not saying that's a huge deal. They'd probably do well to have some rest and heal some people up even more. But uh, just uh, this conference season just keeps going, and this is another test. And, and seeing how the standings kind of line up, and you know, there's it's still logjam there in the East, where you got a lot of player, a lot of teams within striking distance uh, of Vanderbilt. So there's no comfortable cushion whatsoever. And, and um, this weekend's going to be a, an, another formidable test, and, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's always fun the last few weekends of conference play, and probably a lot more fun for the players. The minute exams are done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then they can relax. I remember those days when playing myself, when the classes ended, you felt like you were 
it was just, I mean, it was the first time that you rarely had a situation where you're, you're it's almost like summer ball. You're, you lived and breathed and then baseball 24-7, and it's a fun thing. And plus, with the stress of the academics at Vanderbilt makes it a little different. You get that behind you, and you don't have to worry about study hall and, and, and writing papers. It, it's a bonus. Well, Chip, if anybody audience is worrying about selling a house, tell them it about, excuse me, or buying a house, tell them a bit about what you do, please. Yeah, man, it, it's, it's a crazy market out there. You've probably read about it, heard about it from your neighbors and cousins and friends who've done it or whatever, but it's the real estate season has continued to thrive here in Nashville. Uh, we talk about being at the end of the baseball season. Well, there doesn't seem like there's going to be an end to this real estate market here in Nashville and Middle Tennessee. Average market uh, days on the market for houses in most areas is around three weeks. The inventory is really, really low in most areas, which means that it's a seller's market, definitely. So if any of your listeners are, are in the market for selling their home, they need to give one of our realtors a call. Give me a call personally. Check our website out, what we're about, frederickandclark.com. And uh, it is uh, amazing uh, how... You know, Nashville has its grown, the property values, and there's a bit, of course, all the things in the, in the media about the tax increase or the, or the new appraisals coming up by Metro. Well, those things, and maybe I'll just stress on this for 30 seconds, when you do get your appraisals in the mail for the new tax rate, remember that that is not a market rate. That is a tax rate, what the, what the government, the, the Metro government comes up usually those are lower than the market rate, the one that you get from the, which is a good thing that you're not paying taxes on the full market rate. So don't be confused as far as confusing what's your appraisal from the tax assessor's office and what the true market rate. And if you're in the market to buy or sell, you need to keep that in mind, which also leads to that you need a professional advisor and an agent, an experienced agent who can hold your hand through the process as far as buying or selling and giving you the straight answers, helping you with pricing, helping you with marketing and funneling people to your house for a quick sale. So if that is something that the listeners are interested in, again, call me at 615-327-4800. We have 180 agents in two locations, Brentwood and Nashville. The Nashville were about a block away from Green Hills Mall, right in the heart of Green Hills. And we'd be able to hook you up with a realtor that will suit your needs. Chip, it's been fun. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next week. You bet. All right. He's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast.